Hello, and welcome to Real Money Powered by CanStar, a podcast about real people and their real money stories. I'm Effie Zahos, CanStar's editor-at-large, author, and finance commentator. Over the past 20 years plus, I've enjoyed helping Aussies make the most of their hard-earned money. CanStar is Australia's biggest financial comparison site, helping over 10 million people a year compare finance products and make better money decisions. Before we get started, a friendly reminder that everybody's circumstances can be different and nothing we discuss here today should be taken as personal advice. It's always best to make your own inquiries before making any decisions about your finances. When people think of scams, the old Nigerian prince letters comes to mind. But scams have come a long way since then. You may think it may never happen to you, but the numbers tell a very different story. The ACCC estimates losses from scams will increase by 90% over the year to reach more than $2 billion. On today's episode, I talk to Marie, who shares her experience of losing $165,000 to an internet pop-up scam. David Lacey from ID Care, an organisation that helped Marie throughout her ordeal, also joins us. And finally, I chat with Deputy Chair of the ACCC, Delia Rickard, to get her insights about why we've seen such a massive explosion on scams and what we can do to protect ourselves. Welcome, Marie. Now, you had a traumatic experience earlier this year. You and your husband, Peter, lost $165,000 to a pop-up scam. Now, for those listeners who may not know what a pop-up scam is, it's when you see a pop-up window on your computer with a message claiming something's just not right and you need to contact technical support. You're then directed to a fake helpline and the person on the other end tells you they need remote access to your computer to sort it all out. This lets them not only steal personal information, but potentially access your bank account details. So Marie, in your case, this all began on a day like any other when Peter was reading the local newspaper online. Take us back to that moment. The original communication was done through a pop-up on my husband's computer and a really high-pitched, like a hearing aid, when the hearing aid goes a bit off, that really high continuous sound. He came in and tried to turn it off. Nothing would do. So he rang the number on the screen and went through the process with the individual on the other end. He took down uh, a contact number. Guy gave him a, you know, a company ID number. And then later that day, we were asked to download the TeamViewer app to Peter's mobile. So I Googled it to see what TeamViewer was, and it comes up as a legitimate app. So we figured it was okay to use it. And he asked us to not use the computer for the next 24 hours while they did whatever it was. I think that was the Wednesday and the Friday they said that my computer was free to be used. So I went online to do pay bills and that and saw the money was gone. So I made Peter unplug. We got the car, went straight to the bank and got them to lock the account. So from that day, it started off with your computer playing around, which happens to all of us. Till that Friday, you had no idea what was happening in the background because you weren't able to access your computer. Well, we were advised not to do it. And because I'd had that previous experience of not being able to do it. So it's just, there's a protocol there in your mind. So what exactly was happening? In the background, they were, well, stripping our accounts dry because they downloaded the TeamViewer app. They had that back avenue 
So they were receiving that six-digit number and putting it in when they were making the transfer. So as they were transferring money out of your account, normally we get to see something pop up or money's transferring. You didn't stand a chance here. How much did you lose? Uh, $165,000. $165,000. That's a lot of money, Marie. It is an awful lot of money, especially when it's, uh, most of it comes from my mum had passed away in November and that was basically my inheritance. Look, we're lucky. That was luxury money to us. But still, that mm-hmm. took your mother a, a, a lifetime. For some of us, we can't even accumulate that in a lifetime. Yeah. That, it, it took her lifetime to build that, to give to you. Yeah. They went without so that we could have something. Yeah. So that was probably the thing that made me more angry than anything because I'd earmark that to give the grandchildren some money and just to do some treat things. But we're in a lucky position now. The police have got a couple of guys that they've earmarked and I'm just hoping that we can maybe get some money back. So of that $165,000, how much have you recuperated? Just under 32000 And how's Peter about this? He's better now. He still blames the bank. He is really angry with the bank. They would go weeks without notifying us where things stood. Our accounts were closed. Now, they didn't seem to care whether we had any money coming in to pay bills or whether we were able to buy groceries. <laughs> We've got a friend that he said if he'd lost that sort of money, he would have committed suicide because that's all they have. And, yeah, Pete suffers from a level of mental health issues. So it was pretty tough going there for a little while. It would have been, I imagine, for anybody who was kind of the first port of call, there's that, could I have done anything differently? I know I would be mulling over my head, you know, should I have not done that? What could I have done? It appears you've done everything right and there's nothing that you probably could have done to turn that around. That must be hard. And I think for him, the fact that it was money that had come from my mum makes it harder on him. He has a a bigger sense of guilt over it, I'm sure. But there's lots of things here. Like he said, oh, what should I do? My comment was, read the bloody screen. Yeah. Whereas maybe if I'd come and looked at it, I might have thought, oh, this is not right. But hindsight's a lovely thing. It is. That's right. So you've just got to suck up. You can't be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who did you know to contact? Well, the first thing I thought was we had to go to the bank. So we went straight to the bank, locked the accounts down. While I was doing that, Peter was on the phone to our financial advisor because we've got a self-managed super fund. So all that was locked down. Then we came home and and we contacted the police. And then I sat in front of the computer for the next seven hours and looked at all the passwords to change. And I contacted the awesome people at ID Care, the lovely Kathy, cyber.gov, or the credit reference people to put a lock on getting a credit reference in our names. There's a lot of people you've had to call to get the And it's all guessing. You can't just key in, I've been scammed, who do I notify? You've got to try and work through it. And sometimes when you're under that level of stress and then you look at how many passwords you've got for how many different things, and it's somewhat overwhelming. Marie, you mentioned ID Care was one of the organisations that helped you. So I'd like to bring in David Lacey now. He's the founder and managing director of ID Care and has more than 15 years of experience in cyber and identity security. Hey, David, thanks for coming on. David, when Marie called through to ID Care, what would have been the process? What would have 
been the first thing that your callers would have had to do? Well, listen, I mean, that's the, the, the best thing that they do is, is listen to, to people in the community that experience exactly what Marie's experienced and understand where they're up to in the process, evaluate the risk and work with them to, to rebuild confidence and give them a sense of direction in the environment where it's directionless. You're on your own. The crime's worse enough. Yeah. You, you don't want the response journey on top of that to be equally, if not more difficult. Yeah, that is a good point. And Marie, I, I know your attitude around this is a very healthy perspective, but a lot of us probably would approach it that way. So hats off to you. I think you said something along the lines, it is only money. And I guess that's a healthy attitude to have. But at that time, when you called ID Care, I'm sure there would have been a lot of emotions coming through. David, how many calls do you actually receive like this? How many calls do you get a day? Oh, a day, it's in the hundreds. <laughs> yeah, in the hundreds. So we get over 100,000 engagements from the community a year now. 2021 has been the biggest year on record for us. It's been the biggest year for Scamwatch. Would that be a lot to do with the pandemic? Yeah, if it's a bit to do with the pandemic, but you know, to be honest, scammers have taken it to an absolute new level. They are flooding the community en masse with messages. Marie and I'm, and I'm sure Marie's partner and many others are in that position, beat themselves up. And, you know, I wonder, and I wish it if only the reality is Marie and Marie's partner found themselves in this position because a lot of what was going on was quite subliminal and subconscious. These scammers want scam compliance. And one way to get scam compliance is to scare people into a belief that action needs to be taken. And when that part of your brain's engaged, the part of your brain that is the radar up for scams is actually lessened. And it's quite a psychological process that the scammer takes people through because many people, very absolutely rational people look back and go, why did I, how did I do that? Why would I have done that? And they're forever guessing, but it's a part of their brain that's in all of us that's vulnerable. Have you let go of that, Marie? Have you managed to shake that off? Has Peter? Yeah, I, I have. Peter hasn't. So, David, in cases like that, you are dealing with people in probably their worst possible situation. How do your staff handle that? And in most cases, are all callers in that situation or is there a variation? Well, there's variability. I mean, that it's not uncommon for us to get calls throughout the day, every hour of the day, where people have literally lost their life savings. So they are starting from zero. and for many people in that position, they're in a phase in their life where they can't recruit, but through a career, they might be the elderly. We have young people call us who've fallen victim to employment scams and are laundering money on behalf of organized crime. They don't know it. They've committed an offense. Relationship scams where people have invested literally their art and soul into a relationship and have also lost their life savings. Dad, we, we had a quick overview of Microsoft. About scams. What are some other ones that you're seeing now or the most popular calls that you're getting through at the moment? The brand that's most impersonated in 2021 is Amazon at Netflix. We are seeing an escalation of SMS or text-based message scams. And that's often tied to either you've missed a voicemail, which doesn't exist, or you've missed a parcel delivery, which hasn't happened. I've uh, ordered so many things online. I could easily yeah. miss, uh, uh, yeah. And I do question that I have received lots of those, like most yeah. things have. And it's yeah. like, hold it, is that one? Is that it? And, and there's your COVID connection. Yeah. So there's the connection of people who, who have gone through periods of long lockdown 
and relying on more parcel delivery. And obviously, the criminals are alive to that. And Marie, hearing David now, do you think you would have done anything differently? Do you now see, oh, there was a red flag here that I didn't pick up? Probably wouldn't change. It would have been exactly the same situation. We'd heard about all the scams that are around, but that high-pitched noise just threw us. You just wanted it to stop. You would have yeah. done anything to make it stop. So I don't know that we would have changed anything that we did. I know you've retrieved 32,000. That's still 130-odd thousand missing. Are you okay with that now? Have you put that behind you or are you still chasing that? Where do you stand now? Well, the police are still chasing it, doing whatever it is that they do. So it might be four or five years before we see anything else. Look, we had to draw a line in the sand. We had to move on. We can't keep living life like, yeah, we don't have that many years left that we can be wasting it. We've got to move on, and especially coming out of COVID. We've got places to go and things to do. It's a very healthy approach. If I've beaten cancer, these little buggers aren't going to beat me. <laughs> well done. And that's probably a good approach, David, to have. I feel Marie might be one of the lucky ones to some regard in getting some of that money back. What's normally the case there, David? Oh, normally you don't see it again. So I think, Marie, it's a wonderful attitude. Now, I do want to focus a little bit on where you think things could be changed, because I guess this is learning from someone who has lived it, breathed it. What are um, some of the areas that you feel there were definitely shortfalls or where the system failed you? I'd like one central spot where if you're filling one form and it goes to all those agencies, you're filling in seven or eight different forms to notify all these different companies. So that would be great if there was just one. And then just a reminder, a checklist of have you done this and have you done that? Dave, listening to that, what is the typical process? So for example, if someone is a victim of fraud, or scam, identity, theft, do you start with a fresh slate? Does everything get changed? I can imagine you've got driver's license, you've got passports, you've got all this identification that they could tap into. What is the process with that? A lot of it depends on, ironically, where in Australia you live. So a victim of this type of crime in New South Wales will have, to an extent, a very different experience to somebody in Victoria. So in Marie's case, they basically had access to all her personal information on her laptop. I imagine that's everything from passports to driver's license to bank accounts, your self-managed super fund. This could continue for her. It, it does. And I guess the beauty of talking with our team is that we know intimately what they are likely to do next. So we see misuse. We hear the story, we evaluate the risk and go, okay, there is a risk here to tax. If your tax file number has been exposed, there's a risk there naturally by extension to your super, if that's been exposed. Do those numbers not get changed? Does my tax file number... Do tax it... file number doesn't get changed. Your, your driver license number historically doesn't get changed. Your Medicare number can't get changed, but you've got to go through a different process for that. So the intuition that Marie had, which was go to the bank, most people do, and that's exactly the first thing you should be doing. Disconnect, go to your bank, they're after your money. We know that. But there's a secondary risk and the secondary risk, which we do see regrettably is, okay, well, I've got this money from Marie. I want to now exploit the identity piece. So I want to maybe set up a transaction account, the name, I might apply for a credit card. So that's where the response needs to be both detection based. So have the criminals already done this and I don't know about it. How do I find out about it? And also protective based. So how do I protect my existing accounts? And how do I protect against the creation of new accounts? Well, how do you do that? And that is as diverse as the market is. 
So if it's a credit-based risk, you've got three credit reporting agencies in Australia. They all have different credit reports on us. You have to go through a process where you can apply to put a ban on your credit file. So a ban on your credit file basically takes it off the shelf for 21 days. You can't do that through an access seeker or a third party. So there's all this nuance and you're having to learn all of that whilst you're coping with the fact that you've just been a victim of a crime. So that adds to the stress. It certainly does. It means you are constantly looking over your back to see yeah. what's happening. And this all then rests with the victim. Yeah, it's on the victim's shoulders to take the load. And go to Marie's point, how many forms do you have to fill out? And every time you're filling out one of those forms, psychologically, you're reliving what you've done yeah. and what you've experienced. And that's not a healthy thing. Yeah. So solving that problem, one stop shop, one report, too many is absolutely the way to go. So Marie, are you concerned about this second risk? Is that way on your mind, on Peter's mind? You know, is something going to pop up? Not so much because initially they were three companies I contacted, the three credit reference people, and I've got a block in place now for 12 months. And everything else that I could change or make more secure, I have. Things like your passport and that, well, I can't do much about that because the you know, government doesn't change any of those identification numbers. David, why doesn't the government change your passport number after you've been scared? They do with passports, driver licences, it depends on the state. Yeah. And for many states that can change your licence, you have to then experience secondary crime, ironically. So if the first crime wasn't enough, you have to experience other, other crimes. So there's these ridiculous kind of terms and conditions almost to protect yourself. So, sorry, let me get this right. You have to be a victim twice before they can change in some states. Yeah. Are you looking to bring in some legislative change here? Is this something that's on ID hair's radar? Yeah, it is. There's a few things on the agenda. So one, one of the things that we want to do is if you've got a ban in place on your credit reports, we want you to be told every time someone makes an inquiry while that ban's in place. We think that's fair. Makes sense. Because then you know whether you should extend it or not if they're still active, right? We're pushing to have change, for example, with documents. So there's a document verification service so that when you go to your bank or your telco and you say, what's your license details, Effie? You put it in. They check the national system as to whether or not that's a yes, no. We want a mechanism where ID Care can put a flag on Marie's file so that if somebody goes to present the license... The bank gets back, yeah, that is Marie or that is Effie, but by the way, ID Care's flagged this and we should ask some more questions. So just practical kind of things that try and shift this in a position where people like Marie are in more control. Yeah. yeah. Very, if you could pass your words of wisdom to me, what would be the three things that you'd like to say? Oh, just don't let them beat you. But look, it really is that. Don't let it drag you down and beat you. Family is more important than that. I think that's golden. I think you probably nailed it, but it is easy for me to say that because I have not fallen yet. I hope I don't, but it's a very healthy attitude that you do have, Marie, and hats off to you for that. David, what would you like to see changed? Well, I think for the community, it's to feel confident that you don't have to respond when things are thrown at you with a degree of urgency, which is so much easier said than done. I think in terms of what I'd like to see change, I'd like to see us really ramp up doing things on behalf of people to carry the burden so that you're not re-traumatised and the victimisation persists. It's bad enough it's happened. You know, what we can't do about it is fix the response. I think there's more we can do, Epi, in terms of encouraging 
the likes of Murray and others to share the message. Scammers win because you don't know what the scam is. And the more we have people talking about what they're experienced, the more people feel comfortable sharing that. Because once upon a time, we thought scam victims were stupid and they fell for Nigerian print scams. Mm, mm. That's where that came from. Those days are over. Yeah, we couldn't get any more wrong, can we? It really can yep. touch anybody, everyone, absolutely. anywhere. And you're absolutely right, Marie. Thank you for sharing your story because without people like you, we won't talk about it enough. So, look, thank you very much for your time. I do hope you get the rest of that um, money through. But if not, I do wish you the best with your journey going forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, David, too. Look, I just couldn't leave this episode to end here. You've heard Marie's story, but what can you do to protect yourself against these ever-evolving scams? Now, one person who understands scams better than most is ACCC's Deputy Chair, Delia Rickard, who joins us now. Delia, it's a pleasure to have you on Real Money. Now, there's never been a better time to be a scammer, and I say that because scams are at an all-time high. Can you tell us exactly how much Aussies are losing to scams? First of all, it'd be high. It's lovely to be talking to you again. And second of all, I wanted to give you a sense of the real numbers. Last year, it came to over 850 million, and it's tracking at around about 90% more scams this year. We know that around about 12% of scam victims report to us. Around one third don't tell anyone. So that holds true. We are looking at over $2 billion lost to scams in Australia within a year. And that is absolutely terrifying. That's just unbelievable. $2 billion. I mean, the, the, behind these numbers are, are real families, are real people, are real situations. It absolutely destroys lives. We see suicides. It's just awful. You said a 90% increase. Why are these numbers increasing? If you, I think there's a number of reasons. First of all, Scammers now is not just one or two people operating in a back bedroom. It is huge international organised crime. I've read reports that suggest that criminals who used to be involved in drug importations, that sort of thing, have worked out they can make more money with less risk by going into scams. And it really is in every continent and pretty much every country. You combine that with the fact that they can't work in every language, so they pick their languages that they're going to focus on. And... The English language is associated with a lot of relatively wealthy countries. So the fact that we're part of that affluent English-speaking group of nations also makes us a target. Then you combine that with COVID and people in lockdown situations, people who do not have a great deal of experience with computers, with shopping online, people who are stressed so they're not necessarily making as wise decisions as they might at other times. And our technology these days just makes it easier and easier for them to reach us. If you think back to some of the old original scams, they had to type up a letter, put it in an envelope, afford a stamp, go and put it in the letterbox. That is not very productive. Scammers they're like a big organised business. They look for efficiency. So if you think of the range of scams we see these days, which start off with a robocall telling you you're going to be arrested for one reason or another and press one, what they're doing there is they're saving their resources. They're saying, let's weed out all the people who are clearly going to know it's a scam so that we only spend the time of our human voices interacting with someone who's way more likely to part with their money to us. 
are we sitting ducks right now in that sense? You mentioned COVID. Interest rates are at record lows. We are looking for better returns. I notice on the uh, ScamWatch website that investing is one of the, the, the biggest areas that they look to. Are we sitting ducks right now when it comes to scams? We don't have to be. Most scams still involve a degree of human interaction. So whilst they are very, very hard to pick, there are ways in which we can significantly increase our chances not to be scammed. And I think it's getting those messages out there, which is why it's so terrific you're doing this program, Effie, is a really important part of what's a very multifaceted approach to try to defeat scams. So what are some of those lesser known red flags, Delia, that Aussies can be aware of to protect themselves? Effie, I'm starting with the ones everyone should know, but sadly not everyone does. So I think the the first thing to realise is these days most scams are online and as a general rule and there are exceptions scammers will tend to be a trusted well-known entity so a government department they're likely being being border force at the moment or the police or a bank or a telco well-known retailer they will often try and connect the scams too to something that is topical so COVID was just manna from heaven to them the bushfires were last January so that it, it seems plausible because people are conscious that this is going on So if you're contacted online, so that means on social media, in a Scrabble app game, over the phone, in an SMS, you need to realise that you can never be completely confident that somebody is who they say they are. So it's important not to part with personal information, particularly financial information, driver's licence, passports, that sort of thing, not to give them money no matter what the excuse not to give them remote access to your computer and to be sceptical. Don't let yourself be pressured into decisions. And when you think something might be right, then don't use the contact details wherever you're communicating, but go off and do a Google search to find the contact details for the organisation and get in touch with them. I think when we're online, we need to put our innate trust aside and be considerably more sceptical. And it's also, as you said, Delia, that they're playing on what's happening right now. So you're getting texts saying that you have a delivery. Who didn't get something online during a lockdown? How do you decipher between a, a normal text from Australia Post to one that's not? That That's hard for all Aussies, whether you are financially savvy or, or not so financially savvy. It is difficult not to fall victim these days to a scam. Well, look, it really is. And on the parcel delivery scams, what I say to people is, if you want to track it, don't go off SMS. Go back to the original receipt you got when you did your purchase. And inevitably these days, if you give your details, then you will get a receipt with the tracking number and click on that link. Mm. And what happens if you have then been scammed? What would you suggest, people? Because sometimes it can happen faster than you actually think. The very, very first thing you should do if you realise you've been scammed is to contact your bank. Because Banks have become so much better at stopping scams. And if you contact them quickly, they may be able to trace any money that's been taken from you and get it back. So because money skips from account to account and country and continent to continent very quickly, it's hard. But they can certainly prevent any more money going from your account or your credit card, etc. So let them know, first of all, if you've had your identity stolen, so you've lost things like your driver's license number, passport, Medicare card, all of those things, 
there is a great organisation called idcare.org, which you know about because you're having Dave on. We um, had Dave on, yes. <laughs> I can't speak highly enough of the fantastic work they do. Their website can help you undo it and you can also speak to people there. They've got real live human beings who are compassionate and knowledgeable and they can help you undo that. And we always ask you to let scamwatch.gov.au know because that's how we know the scams that are going about and I guess we're the main voice for letting people out there know what's happening but it's, we don't just use the information that we're sent to get the word out about the current scams we also share the phone numbers there with the telcos so that they can block scam calls coming through and they are being blocked in their hundreds of millions now so doing all of those things can help protect you, ideally get your money back and certainly help protect others. How much money is coming back to consumers? Last year, the 10 largest banks told us that collectively between them, they stopped Australians losing around $200 million. Now, a big chunk of that is the banks recognising that money is going to a scammer. But some of it is also then when they've been contacted very quickly, managing to trace some of that money and recall it. For people that may find themselves in this situation, if you had to part with, say, your top three tips for, for somebody in a situation where they need to protect themselves, what would they be? Never let yourself be pressured into a decision. Always go and do your research. You cannot go on trust anymore, whether it's a communication online or whether you're online shopping. So if you're online shopping, Google the store, see what others have had to say. The other thing is it doesn't seem to discriminate. Your numbers on Scamwatch show that fraud happens really anywhere from 25 years and upwards, you could potentially be a victim. You're right. They don't discriminate in relation to age, though it's very clear that different age groups are more or less susceptible to different types of scams and different demographics are more or less susceptible. So we know that older Australians are more susceptible to remote access scams. 25 to 35, 40-year-old, particularly males, are more susceptible to cryptocurrency scams. People between about 45 and 65 more susceptible to romance scams, particularly women. But across the board, I don't think anyone is so intelligent that they can't feel confident that they would never get scammed. Yeah, and I think that's the key, isn't it? Never let your guard down. Delia Rickard, it's a pleasure to have you on Real Money. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Real Money with Effie Zahos, powered by CanStar. Australia's biggest financial comparison site. CanStar's experts research and rate finance products from over 30 categories, including home loans and insurance, personal loans, super and investing. To compare products and see if you could be getting a better deal, visit canstar.com.au. As always, you'll find useful links in the show notes, but if you need more information on today's podcast topics or any other money topics, head to canstar.com.au. Do you have a money story you'd like to share? Get in touch with me at effie.zahos at canstar.com.au.